filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster. Watch out for the filibuster. Oh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. We are back and feeling good on the filibuster freestyle. Got a big show for you tonight. It's your buddy Gavin. Filibuster freestyle. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said during the pre show song, the theme song, it's your buddy Gavin. We've got a big filibuster freestyle for you this week because it's April 4th. Can't believe it's already April of 2017. we got so much going on. You can check it out at filibusterfreestyle.com. Uh, you can check it out on Twitter, at Gavin Viano, at FB underscore freestyle. First order of business, let me call out self-appointed Chief Marketing Officer Andrew Patterson for saying he was going to get FB underscore freestyle bumping and pumping on Twitter. Sir, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just saying that it's a good thing that you are a volunteer chief marketing officer because you have uh, not been the chief of any marketing, sir. You have not been the chief of any marketing. Sorry, Andrew Patterson. I know you had a couple big weeks uh, on the show thanks to your visit down here in North Carolina. I'm basically just kidding. But hit him up at FB underscore freestyle and force chief marketing officer Andrew Patterson to get it going. Um, Unofficial sponsors of the week. Guys, I haven't done this in forever. My bad to our unofficial sponsors. The good news about unofficial sponsors is uh, you know I stand by the product because they don't give me any money to sponsor to, to announce them as sponsors. And uh, so you know I stand by the product. And the good news for them is uh, they don't have to give me any money. So they win, you win, I win, I guess. Uh, avocados from Mexico, not just a great jingle, but a great tasting snack. Speaking of great tasting snacks, Trader Joe's reduced guilt-free multi-grain pita chips with sesame seeds. Thank you very much. It's a mouthful, but it is worth bringing up and worth telling you and to try it out. Try it out with some salsa. Try it out with the aforementioned avocados chopped up in some guacamole. Anything you like. They're fantastic. And finally, unofficial sponsor of the week, Skype. Because uh, I have to use Skype tomorrow for the first time since like 2012. And uh, I'm going to later on go into my Gmail account. So props to Google and Gmail, unofficial, unofficial sponsor of the week, B-Team. But i uh, going to check out some Skype action tomorrow morning. Figure I'd give Skype a shout. Speaking of giving people, people a shout, places listening, Vienna, Austria, Gothenburg, Sweden. Hope I said that correct. Medellin, Colombia. And Paris, France, a lot of international listeners in the last few weeks. This is the first time ever that the nation of France has come in second after the United States. Usually it's Canada or Great Britain. It's been a couple other places, but France gets its first ever silver medal. Good for you guys. Um, And then third place was Austria. And I know, I believe I know who that is actually, which is my, my brother Alex's girlfriend, Helen. She's been on the show. She's been at a conference. But whether it was Helen or whether it just dumb luck that while she was there, people in Vienna found the freestyle for the first time, I am very happy to have the Austrians coming in uh, with the bronze medal. Uh, okay, couple of hot takes straight up by myself filibuster. But first, I'll tell you who our guests are in a few minutes. First, we got to cover what was an unbelievable HBO limited series, in my opinion, Big Little Lies, the Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Gibman vehicle that just ended on Sunday, April 2nd. I mean, good God, y'all. It was fantastic. Um, to bring on and to talk to us about that will be 
Uh, you all know our, our pundit, Jeremy Johnson, from mancookgood.com. JJ has a lovely wife named Chloe, Chloe Peterson. She has uh, spent her career uh, in acting and performing. Her mom and dad were also working actors in Hollywood on Broadway. She knows the acting game. Really big, not only fan, but student and kind of a professional in the performing arts world. She's going to give us a lot of hot takes, uh, some thoughts on Big Little Lies. That's coming up immediately after my filibuster diatribe, which I'll tell you why I'm going to do that in a minute. And then to end it, since we're talking to JJ's wife, Chloe, anyway, and they happen to share a home and all, and since we're talking to them at West Coast time, and it won't be past their bedtime, they'll probably pass mine, um, I'm going to talk to JJ about some hot takes from the end of the Final Four. So that'll come up after Chloe, uh, and Chloe will come up after a couple hot takes from me, and I don't know how hot they are or they aren't, but... Well, let me give you some. And the reason I'm doing a true filibuster for the first couple minutes here is, one, you guys remember when I started the show a couple years ago, it was a true filibuster. It was just me. Um, but right now, we've got this thing going on where people are trying to either confirm or not confirm in Congress uh, Supreme Court Justice nominee Neil Gorsuch. And since hashtag filibuster Gorsuch is a pretty hot trending uh, handle, I guess, if you will, or, or sorry, uh, hashtag on Twitter – um, we want to get the hashtag filibuster freestyle back. So we're doing a full tribute to the filibuster, the art of the filibuster, in honor of the filibuster Gorsuch movement. So first things first, I don't know how many of y'all live alone, but when you live alone, you can just leave stuff wherever you feel like it, which leads to some really fun morning recaps, especially the morning after, say, being out late or drinking. Um, and then you kind of find parts of your outfit from the night before throughout your house because you just kind of leave things where you want. And kind of the kicker for me is that sometimes you find your pants and they're just straight up inside out. And it's almost like when you got home, you just said, F you pants, I'm leaving you inside out because I'm done with you and I'll turn you right side in when I gosh darn feel like it. So hot take on living alone and inside out pants. The next thing I want to get into, a little tongue in cheek, but you know, we talk about American Americans, being an American, and, and I'll get into a little diatribe in a minute, but I want to talk about Americans and then Americans. And I feel like Americans are the people who want somebody else to make America great again. Uh, if you're an American, and I'm obviously playing on words, but American, you make your own way. You make your own dream. You make it work. Americans want to blame their problems on everybody else. So uh, I'm going to make a couple statements on Americans, and it kind of starts with like, I don't know that America needed to be made great again as a country. I think Americans needed to be made great again. I think Donald Trump missed the boat a little bit, even though he got elected president. So far away from me to say he actually missed the boat. But, I mean, making Americans great again, making Americans want to be great again. Remember when JFK said, ask not what your country can do for you? Exactly. What you can do for your country? That's what made Americans great. And to make America great, America is great. That's why so many people want to move here. Uh, if it's not going great for you, that's kind of on you. And whether you were born here or weren't born here or whatever, you got to bring it. So let's make Americans, Americans great again and not worry about trying to make a whole country great again because someone's going to win and someone's going to lose every day. But if you get back up and keep fighting, go for it. Speaking of getting back up and keeping fighting, this happened in America, but Two dudes who weren't American were the main stage, which was in the uh, the Miami Open. Um, Roger Federer won, beat Rafael Nadal, 
again. Uh, at 35, he's now won the Australian Open. He won at Indian Wells, and then he won at Miami. Major props to a dude who's got three titles at the age of 35 to start the year. He's got the most points uh, in the I, you know, um, I guess it's ITA rankings. Roger Federer, back in a big way. Our buddy tennis partner Andy Maslin had su- supposed that the Australian Open was lightning in a bottle, but the lightning is still in the bottle. Who knows what will last through the clay court and grass court and ultimately the U.S. Open seasons, but. Federer certainly has a, a rejuvenation period going for himself right here, right now, as they say, in the early going of 2017. Okay, a couple more things, and then we'll get to Chloe Peterson. Okay, I don't know if I've ever said this in the show before or not, but like five, six years ago or so, I just realized that my sense of smell wasn't as good as it used to be. Um, and that was fully and righteously confirmed that it is worse than it used to be Yesterday morning, so I made myself a big old pot of coffee, poured it all into a giant Yeti, unofficial sponsor of the week, container, keeps it warm for like literally four hours plus, maybe six hours, fantastic product. Seriously, just get one, like not even, like just do it. Anyway, park my car, walk it out of my car, walking into like my office building. Um, a woman who works on campus, doesn't work in my building, I've only seen her around, I don't know her. She's about 15, 10 feet behind me. And I, I said hello, just kind of waved, you know, good morning to a, you know, a non-stranger, stranger, if you will. And so I keep walking and she says, your, your coffee smells so great. And I'm just like, yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, I could not smell my own coffee and it was like 15 inches under my own nose. And this lady could smell it from like 15 feet away. So I'm not going to lie. If you're going to lose a sense, no one wants to lose any senses of the big five. Or in some cases, for you clairvoyants, the big six, ESP, a.k.a. ESPN. But if you're going to lose a sense, I guess smell, and I haven't lost it. It's just very dull. But anyway, that lady either has super schnoz or I've got negative schnoz. I'm going with the latter, frankly. Um, and that's about it for my action, my filibuster diatribe. So stick around. Filibusterfreestyle.com has got all your action that you need. Facebook page is popping. Instagram is popping. We're now on Snapchat. Uh, we've sourced that one out to, I guess, marketing officer number two. We'll get a cooler name for her than that. But also, uh, our pundit Cindy Harrington is now running the Filibuster Freestyle Snapchat account. Check that out. But anyway, without further ado, here comes JJ's better half, Chloe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, it's not just a straight filibuster. We have guests on guests tonight. First guest is, as I mentioned, the wife of Man Cook Good CEO, Jeremy Johnson, <laughs> and an artist in her own right, the great Chloe Peterson. Chloe, how's it going? It's going great, thank you. I'm so glad you're on the show. It's, it's probably been too long. Jeremy and I talked probably after the first couple episodes about of Big Little Lies, about getting you on as the, the pundit for uh, kind of make sense of this, what ended up being an unbelievable limited series from HBO. So... Just to kind of not bury the lead, you and I were two days removed from the season finale, neither or the series finale. Neither one of us read the book, so we were nope. we were likely pretty blown away Sunday night by just everything that transpired. We're going to get into all that, but first, I want to just give the the listening audience a little bit of a sense of like uh, kind of your own little Hollywood story and some of the things that you know you and your family have been around. So people know that you're not just you're not just some lady. You you know you know you know stuff. <laughs> You know? I ain't just some pregnant lady talking <laughs> about Big Little Lies. True, and as people know from listening to Jeremy on the show, you guys are expecting your first child, and we're pumped. 
Filibuster Freestyle Babies are on the rise in 2017. We love it. Well, we're pumped as well. We I'm, can't wait. I'm, that's the right answer, by the way. Um, so <laughs> yes. let's let's talk about – okay, so I, I know that you know you have been you know in showbiz yourself a bit, and both your parents were working actors. It sounds like your mom worked for a very long time. She was on Broadway. She was in several films, and she has several students who she does, whether it's voice or acting, coaching with. So really quickly – with all that said, in terms of what they all did in their career, your parents, mm-hmm. what was it like to tr- pursue the performing arts for yourself as either a child or even as an adult? Um, well, so yes. Yeah, so my mom is still currently in the business. She's yep. still an actress and she's an acting coach. She teaches classes and she has her own private clients that she teaches as well. Mm-hmm. And then my dad was in the business for years, but he's been out of it now for a very, very, very long time. Okay. Um, but it was what I would, the word I would just use is normal that I think for a lot of people who don't come from LA and who aren't in that, this world, it can seem so foreign and so strange. And when it's, when it's your life and it's your world, it's just normal that mom comes home with, in a different costume and looking, you know, dressed up in this way or that way or going on set. Um, I mean, kids are so adaptable. Correct. Uh, yeah. Whatever your normal is is what your normal is, right? It, so. Exactly. And I was very blessed in that both of my parents were totally supportive of me wanting to pursue the arts. So they didn't try to, you know, convince me that it, this was a terrible idea or tell me, you know, they believed in me and my talent and they saw I displayed from a really young age of a loving interest in it. I wasn't, I didn't have stage parents in any way, shape or form. So I wasn't pushed into it in any way. Right. right. I, I just, you know, loved it and wanted to pursue it. And they supported me to do that. That's kind of cool. Cause I feel like I would imagine that there are a lot of people who are in the business who, especially if they haven't made it as far as they would have liked when they started out would really push their kids hard. Or there are the, mm-hmm. the parents, like you mentioned, who were like, this is a hard life. Uh, you need to go and like become a CPA or like. And I can't tell you how many, <laughs> how many of the parents who are like, "This is a hard life. Go be a CPA." Are actually some of the most successful artists that like I know. Really? So it's like, yeah. So it's like, but wait a second, you have a hit television show and you're doing so well, but it's just because they, you know, they see the life and they know how hard it is and they want the best for their kids and. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I believe in their heart of hearts. I'm sure they would support their kids if that's what they really loved and wanted to do. But it is funny how um, discouraging some families can be about it. Correct, I'm sure. Okay, so let's 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 talk about like a fun little story that I heard from 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 uh, JJ, which is your husband. I doubt you call him JJ, but anyway, we, we... I call him Jer. <laughs> Jer or Germ. Germ's not bad. We can agree on he, germ for sure. He's the germ I caught and never got rid of. There it is. He's like a virus, Aww. but in a good way. You know, he's, he's, he's like healthy virus. He's like strengthened your immune system, which is phenomenal. <laughs> That's um, exactly right. So your mom, and this is what Jeremy told me, was thanked yeah. during Marissa Tomei's Oscar acceptance speech back. She was. Is that for my cousin so Vinny? Correct. What do you say? Was that for my cousin Vinny? Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, what was it like? Because I'm sure you. I don't know if you were. You're not, you were in L.A., so you probably wasn't late, so you probably were up for it. So were you? Oh, yeah. We were watching it. Wow. So did she have any idea that was going to happen? No. she No. Obviously, uh, 
no one knew who was going to win. Correct. And she had no idea you know, that Marissa would win. And we're all watching it. I remember my friend Dorothy was over. I can't remember how old we were. We were young. We were like eight or nine or something. Yep. And, um, and Marissa wins, and we're freaking out, obviously, because that's so exciting. Yep. And then when she should thank my mom, I mean, we were just blown over, jumping up and down, thrilled. Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. So I want to be mindful of the fact that they obviously have a, a relationship and stuff and that that's their business, but how did they first get involved with each other in terms of, you know, your mom working with her on, on her acting or her or was it her speech or whatever it was? Uh, so my mom, yeah, my mom coached her as mm-hmm. a, as an acting teacher Okay, got and it. They, they met in New York city, um, roughly about 30 years ago. I want to say my mom was in, um, well, she was on a show on Broadway and I don't remember the name of the show. Sorry. But, um, her understudy for that show was a friends of, Mar- was a friend of Marissa's oh, cool. and I guess she knew that Marissa wanted to, you know, go start an acting class or go into a into class and so my mom's understudy gave marissa my mom's name and this was right when marissa was starting her career she had been working and doing i think some tv and maybe some smaller films but it was kind of at the start of her career uh so she got into class with my mom and they you know they hit it off great not just personally but also professionally and then uh, marissa got cast in my cousin Vinny, and it was by far the biggest role yeah, that she had sure. ever booked for a film so she uh she coached with my mom on it and the rest is history she did such a brilliant job um i mean she's such a talented actress anyways but she was so brilliant in that film yeah i mean um, to win an oscar in that film i mean again I, that film uh, is a great film but it's a comedy right yeah. and to win best totally. actress i mean that's phenomenal um yeah I mean, and that's a testament to the character and the writing, but also clearly the ability to get the character off the page and onto the screen. Very cool. I also thought yeah. just the, her versatility. I mean, she was in The Wrestler, which is probably one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Um, oh, my God, yes. And they worked together on that as well. They did. Cool. I didn't know yeah. that. But that's, that was one of my favorites that she was in. And it was like, I don't, I just mean it was such a different role. And it was, it was obviously several years later. It was so later, raw and, and yeah. visceral. And, yeah, she, I mean, she's such an, an incredible talent. And she really just dives head into every role she gets. Yep. And I think she really loves to work with my mom because my mom just kind of um, has an amazing ability to push actors and to delve just even deeper than you sometimes know or think to do on your own, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that's what, what good coaches do, right? Um, yeah. So speaking of, of women who are very talented actors, let's get I – mean, we're going to go a little back into some of your, your own maybe some Hollywood antics and things but and experiences, but – this this show, Big Little Lies, what an ensemble cast, especially oh my God, especially yeah. on on the side of, of of the women in the show. Um, you know, several A listers. I guess my first question, and I think I'm, I mean I have my own amateur answers, but you would know better. Is how do how on earth do you get a cast with this much star power to agree to do this? I mean, I guess it's different yeah. for every time, but like, how how, how do you even go about this? Who's, whose project was this? Well, I so when you. You can see, you you can find all of this out on IMDb as well. But when you delve deeper, you start to see, okay, you have David E. Kelly writing the script for this film, which is, or for the series or whatever. And he's such an incredible powerhouse. And then you have Jean-Marc Vallée, 
as the director. Yep. Mm-hmm. And his, you know, he worked with Reese Witherspoon on Wild. He's did Dallas Buyers Club. Ooh, and okay. then you also, so right then and there, you have two extraordinary like players in the field. Yep. And David has all this experience in television, whereas, and Jean Marc has all this experience in film. Because I also felt that even though it was a TV series, it felt very cinematic. Yeah, felt, this, this is a long each movie. Each episode felt like a little film to Yeah, me. This, was, this was a seven-episode movie, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Okay, totally. And then you have all of these incredible women, and Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon were also executive producers on the whole project. Right, okay. So I think when you get... You know, I, I can't speak for who ex- who started, got the ball rolling. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. don't know whether yeah. who, it who was... Started, whose baby was Exactly. It, right? But it's like, it, it, when you get incredibly talented, knowledgeable artists, and it doesn't take much if you just have two, and then you get a third, and then you get a fourth, and mm-hmm. this person knows that person. Um, I mean, from all of the interviews that I read of all the actresses, they were beyond thrilled to be able to work with them. Yeah, uh, to be to, with Jean Marc Vallee and with David E. Kelly. So I think, you know, it was probably easy once they got the project rolling. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And that's some good inside baseball there on like how big those two guys are, you know, in that world. Um, yeah, and David E. Kelly created Ally McBeal, Boston Legal, The Practice. All right, so, so he was like hits. the Shonda Rhimes of like the the nineties. That's exactly <laughs> of the nineties. That's exactly right. Got yeah. it. All right, cool. Um, all right, let's talk about the characters themselves. So, and again, a lot of great performances. Phenomenal, I think, performances from so many people. Phenomenal, but, yeah. But, you know, which ones really stuck out or left you maybe the most, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised, but uh, overwhelmed or, like, pleasantly whelmed, if you will. What, what really? Who, <laughs> pleasantly whelmed. Pleasantly whelmed, fake band name of the week. <laughs> um, well, I would say the, the performance that knocked me out the most, I wasn't pleasantly surprised by it because uh, she, in my opinion, is just such a spectacular actress, yep. was Nicole Kidman. Mm. I thought she gave such a brave, uh, vulnerable, and open a performance on something that is so difficult. I mean, to... I feel like so often abuse is portrayed in a very black and white manner yes. in TV and film. And sometimes, sometimes it is that way. But this was such um, a delicate, I mean, clearly very messed up relationship. Horribly abusive. And she had to get out of it. Yeah. But to, to be able to believe and see that these two people actually did love each other and to see why they were staying in the relationship, the whole... Um, their sexual connection yeah. from that space. I mean, that's just so hard to portray in any way, you know, let yeah. alone believably acting it. Like, it's very... Sex scenes are so challenging as an actor. It's such a strange, like, world and thing to do. Yeah, they, they've got to be. They've got to be so yeah. hard. Like, I mean, like you're, like, you're doing that and you're not... You know, you're, you're pretending that you have the connection and a bunch of people are watching you pretend to do that. And and, yes. and you got to deliver. Yeah. That's crazy, right? So yeah, and and they were very very difficult. You know, again, like, sometimes they were happy scenes, but they were oftentimes very painful scenes. You know, so again, it's just so complicated. Yeah. So I, I, ahead, I wasn't sorry. surprised by her. No, but I was blown away by her. Yeah, for sure. Um, flip side, any? I mean, again, I hate to put people on the spot, but like. Anybody or any performance or any part of it that, that underwhelmed or underdelivered in terms of either characters or maybe character development? I mean, obviously, they only had a limited amount of time. 
Um, anything there? You know, I was not really the only the only thing I would have. I was curious to have more backstory a little bit on Perry. Yeah. Maybe. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But I wasn't, I thought all of the performances were great. Like, I was very pleasantly surprised by Shailene Woodley. I hadn't seen her in much before this, to be, all, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. You know, she's done so much teen stuff, like the Divergent series and everything, which I didn't even see. Right, right. Um, she was she looked so familiar to me, and I kept thinking like I'd seen her somewhere. And then I, yeah, I looked her up, and I'm like, I've never seen a piece of work she's done, but she just seems. Yeah, so, I mean, she's worked a ton, but totally. I just hadn't seen a lot of her work before. Yeah, she so was I was good. more like pleasantly surprised by her and all the kids who I thought were amazing. Oh, the kids were phenomenal. Um, I mean, I'm not oh really my God. like. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, child actors, I, I we all get it. But, like, those the kids were cast great or they, they performed they, great. I yeah, mean, no, the casting on this was just pitch perfect. Were you underwhelmed by anyone? Um, Not, not really at all. Um, You, you know, again, I, I feel like the only thing that I could have used more of, and I wonder if there was more of it in the book, but was the – the, the, the woman who clearly, the, the police detective who clearly was obsessed with proving, you know, at the end, and we'll jump to that Oh, scene. yes. That's actually, yes. I, I would agree with that. was more there. Like, like, yes. Like, I didn't yeah. really care about her existence, and mm-hmm. her the, the way they closed it, I'm wondering if they had to because maybe that character was so profound in the book. I don't know. I didn't read it. You didn't yes, read it. Yes, or so. if they just wanted us to be on edge and have this sense that this was a detective who... Wouldn't let would it, never quit, you know, go, right? And these women are now finally happy. happy, and we'll get into that. But like, and then it's oh, it's, it's fleeting, you know. Just as them being happy was hard to get to, like the happiness is maybe fleeting because this woman will stop at nothing to put them away. But yeah, I was just exactly. underwhelmed by like her backstory too. If she, if they're going to close the series with her like spying on with them from binoculars, yeah, yeah, then like she should have a backstory, or like I should give a crap about her, and I yeah, don't. And and I don't. Actually point because like when you when you asked that I didn't even think of her so she felt very you know minimal to me yeah, <laughs> in the whole yeah, story yeah for sure um, and again that could be partially the book and maybe Perry maybe there's more on Perry in the book I don't know um, I'm sure there probably is yeah but but I agree that that I can guess why he has demons you know but like he he, yeah. may, he may have been abused as a child or maybe what does his mother be abused or somebody be abused when he was a child like but to yeah. not know that you know, maybe they needed to, to make us just dislike Perry uh, as much as possible, but clear, they clearly did a pretty good job with that at the end. Uh, they, yeah, they definitely did. But anyway, uh, well, you know, so, okay, let's – it doesn't sound like you would want any of the characters to have been casted differently then. It sounds like, again, you know – No, made, okay. I thought the casting was spot on and that they did a great job. Okay, yeah. nice. And, and I'm going to say this right now because I might not remember. I don't know if it's my notes or not, but how about – Zoe Kravitz is all grown up. I had no idea. And yes, yeah. So that was a pleasant surprise for me as well. Similar to Shailene Woodley, like, I didn't, I haven't really seen Zoe Kravitz in much of anything. Right. I mean, I've seen her in magazines and she's stunningly beautiful, but I hadn't seen her perform much. Correct. Uh, and I thought she did a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. And the song that she sang at the end, like, was phenomenal. Beautiful. And that was her. That was her singing. Was it? I thought she's, so. Yeah. 
Well, think about it. Like Lisa Bonet actually was a pretty good singer in her own right, and obviously her father's a legend. So in terms yeah. of singing, so anyway, talk about a Hollywood couple that you know their kid went into the biz, right? Uh, yes. But anyway, <laughs> I just wanted right to make there. sure I mentioned that I thought she was fantastic, and we'll certainly bring her character up because it certainly factors into the end. But it oh, certainly does. Okay, you didn't read the book, neither did I. So before the big reveal, before we figured out who the heck got killed, yeah, who did you think the killer was, and who did you think got killed? no idea I kept I kept fearing it was going to be one of the women but I really didn't want it to be mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I kept fear, fearing that either um, Reese Witherspoon might die which mm-hmm. I really didn't want but they kept yeah. because we got a lot of her story and they were bringing up um, her affair and everything I thought oh god is something going to get like horribly messy yes. there yes. or you know um, and then Again, they wanted, they were putting Renata, certainly, as the antagonist. Yes. Um, I think for a little while, I thought maybe Jane might die. Yep. Um, But again, I didn't know how. I wasn't ever able to kind of piece together. I'm like, who would end up killing her and why? um, For sure. So I was very surprised when we got the... Yeah, yeah. I, my, two people that I had written down before the show aired the other night were Reese Witherspoon's character Madeline, and then Laura Dern's character Renata as well. Yeah. Um, and really, two things happened: one on the show, and one like in the fitness center in my apartment building. Um, so <laughs> I was working out, and I overheard two people talking about the book and the show, and I finally had to be like, "Hi." I am not a prototypical person you think would care about the surprise ending tonight of Big Lies. But can you, Big Little Lies, but please don't tell me what happens by talking anymore. <laughs> so they were cool about it. But they, they mentioned a couple things to me that got me thinking because they had mentioned something that like they're doing a pretty good job of painting the picture on who gets killed but not the killer. And actually I disagree because I, I thought these two women, not Perry, spoiler alert, Perry died, everybody. Um, yeah, surprise. But I had no idea who the killer would be at all. Yes. We, we can get no, into that. No, me neither. And it was a great, like, it was a great shot when we found that out. Yeah, and so well yeah. shot. So, and we'll get, I, I, again, I keep saying yes. we'll get into it, but we will. But, so I definitely didn't know who the killer was. I could have been anybody. Um, I guess it could have been the one who it was, you know, but I didn't think it would be. Anyway, um, so... The one thing I did correctly guess, though, was that once that guy, the interior decorator guy, was not Jane's assailant, uh-huh. I was like, you know, maybe it's Perry. That dude travels a lot. He's a psychopath. Yeah. You know, I had heard one of my um, – I'm also a Pilates instructor, and one of my clients when I was teaching her mm-hmm. um, was telling me that she she had this theory, and it – it rang very potentially true, but the one thing I had trouble, and I, I would have to go back to watch, yep. is that I couldn't remember if Jane had met him or not. And I'm no, like, no, right, she hadn't. You, you, well, so that's, but I kept thinking she had to have it. All these school events and all these things. Yeah, and that was but the other piece for me. It. Is I started to think back to he missed the first day of school. And right, that's true. What was yeah. ironic is the whole first day of school thing was the first time we see him get mad at Celeste. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you're like, oh, this guy's kind of a DB. But no, actually, he's like a complete you know, abuser. Uh, yeah. And as well as an adulterer and as well as a, a rapist. Sweet. Uh, triple threat. <laughs> yeah. Triple threat, homie. Whole package. 
right there. But he's good looking and seems to have a nice job, so he's got that going for him. Um, <laughs> you know, and well portrayed, you know, in terms of, you know, the. the oh, act- I thought he did a really good job. That's hard, again, to play someone like that. And yeah. Someone that you. I mean, I I never sympathized with him, but I could also I believed his struggle. I believed he loved her, which made it even more effed up. You know what I mean? Correct, correct. Yeah. And so anyway, at Alexander Skarsgård, by the way, the actor, great job by him being you know the the the, the heel, if you will, of the, yes. the show. So all right, let's talk about. So first of all, props to this guy named Dave Nemitz on TVLine.com because he actually had that theory when I googled my theory. On Perry being oh, cool. the, the assaulter and you know Ziggy's father, um, mm-hmm. which you know at least Ziggy's gonna know who his dad was. <laughs> Bad news is don't get to meet him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, too late now. So I got a couple. Okay, so let's just get into this last fifteen minutes of the show because it's Elvis versus it's Elvis and Audrey night. Yes, and I want to just get into like the cinematography of like beautiful cinematography watching. Like essentially, from the moment that that Celeste and Perry pulled up, and he decided to like not valet the car, I thought he was going to try to kill her. You know, yeah, I thought he was going to potentially drive the car off of the cliff at one point. Right, right. I'm like, okay, they, they created really good tension. Unbelievable, right? And so, you know, it's amazing how like Renata and then her husband were doing like what they tell you to do when you see abusive things happening, which is like try to separate the people and like distract the person while the other person gets out of the way. You know, like they were uh-huh. doing kind of the, I don't want to call it 101 like abuse, like training, but it's a good thing to say. Like they were doing the right thing there. Um, well, but, but Celeste also had pulled Renata aside correct, to correct, tell her correct. about Max. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so that's all going on. And then you've got, you know, Zoe Kravitz singing this unbelievable song. And then you've got uh, Adam Scott – I'm sorry, Adam McKay, excuse me, who – No, no, it was Adam Scott. It was Adam Scott. Good, good. Okay, great. So anyway, Adam Scott, who decided to go full Derek from Step Brothers look uh, with the spiked hair and no beard to end it (laughs) as Ed McKenzie, um, he gave a nice performance as well. Um, And then the dude, the ex – oh my gosh. James Tupper. Yeah, James Tupper, who did a nice job. Uh, yeah. as well so he did a good job as nathan you know madeline's ex so they're all singing but then the best part is there's like the altercation uh of ed and nathan and bonnie which is zoe kravitz's character is trying to like break mm-hmm. that up there's the police interviews being spliced in and those two or three like n- like noodling n- n- nudgy moms who yes. like, were like i could see ed poured a drink all over bonnie like and so you you're you're looking at it and you're like so who the hell kills Holy each other? Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are, are, is this really how it's, how it's going to go down? Yeah. Are Ed and Nathan going to get at it? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, poor, like, like, you know, yeah. So now I'm thinking, like, okay. And then, and then, you know, before we get into, like, what all went down, there's this whole other piece with the play director of Avenue Q and uh-huh. Madeline's Affair. And the one fun yes. fact I did get um, was that that did not happen in the book. Yeah, I read that as well, that that's something that they decided to include in the series. Right. But my, yeah. I guess my question for you is, do you feel like that was a nice, effective red herring for conflict in the last 10 minutes of the show? I definitely did. And I also thought um, it really deepened 
Madeline's relationship with Ed. Like, I I just believed um, how guilty and awful she felt. Like, I thought that was a beautiful scene when Mm -hmm. he was singing and Mm -hmm. she was basically having her meltdown. So I thought it did add, it added a really nice dimension to, um, to their relationship and to also her relationship with her kids because um, she has those great scenes with her teenage daughter yep. telling her, you know, you think I'm perfect, I'm really not. So I, I thought it it moved the story along and helped. Yeah, for sure. So it was good. And I'm glad that that wasn't, though. My biggest fear once I learned that that was not in the book was, was they that were, they used that yeah. to, to, yeah, no, I'm glad they didn't either. Yeah, so they basically made it a useless kind of diatribe and like a layer of Madeline's character. Yeah. Which is good because, like we said, there were some characters where we wish we had more more layers. So exactly. that's all good. Um, all right, a couple of outlandish questions because it wouldn't be the freestyle without going outlandish. Um, okay. Were you – and again, some of this is just the amount of time they had to tell the story. So, But were you surprised that um, – how quickly Celeste believed Jane that her son told her that one of her boys was the, was the bully of Amabella? No, I wasn't surprised because um, I I felt first of first of all, sorry, going back a little bit. Yeah. In terms of performances that I thought were extraordinary, yeah. was Robin Weigert, who's the therapist. Yeah. I thought I thought the scenes between Celeste and her therapist were some of the best therapy scenes I've ever seen oh. portrayed. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And. And the therapist kept bringing up the children too. Yes, that's and she, yeah. And Celeste was so defensive about it. But I think towards, especially in the finale, we see her starting to get that it is. It's not as clean cut as she thinks. It's so much messier. Of course, they can hear things, or they're picking up on things that that you know that their parents aren't in this happy, perfect relationship. Yeah. And I thought that the writing of that scene where Jane is telling Celeste about Max was very well done because, again, she said, you know, I I thought like maybe it is Ziggy because he has that in his DNA. Yes. But, yes. Um. But he, you know. He swore, and he and remember, she took him to that psychologist. Yeah. Um, and then I thought Nicole Kidman again did a beautiful job when she confronted her son when she confronted yes. Max. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, like, by nice, um, I mean like really nicely done. Scene. Yeah, 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 for sure. And uh, it, but it so just, for me, it wasn't it wasn't abrupt. Yeah, yeah, because I was I actually thought it was I didn't think it was abrupt, but I, I kind of thought just for dramatic purposes that they were going to have them get into a little bit of a spat. And then because I was thinking that like ultimately Perry is going to meet Jane and Jane's right. going to freak out that then Nicole Kidman would believe all of it. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. Yeah. So I was, I just thought there was going to be another step, but be more conflict. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I'm glad there wasn't in some ways because it actually, it proved that how close these women were becoming. And that's that, exactly right. It proved that they had a very honest, intimate and, loving relationship where she thought, why would she lie about this? Correct. You know? Correct. Especially yeah. because she didn't know about the, the sexual assault being her husband. You know what I mean? Like Ex- so that's exactly Jane had right. no reason to lie. Literally no, no reason to lie. Yeah, uh, completely. Okay, cool. Um, let me, this is the most outlandish question. And you know, to the listener is this is, is only funny because it's a TV show and not in real life. But when do you think Celeste and Jane tell their boys that they're all half brothers? <laughs> oh dear Lord. <laughs> 
And if so, at what age? That's a whole other series. Yeah, that could be season two, like 20 years later. I mean, good Lord. Exactly. Oh, God, I don't know. Like, is that is that a never? Is that like a when you're old enough? Is that, I'm what? I feel like, I don't feel like it's a never because those women are so close. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they've gone through, they've bonded over something so traumatic and dramatic together. Yes. um, That I could see them, I could see the characters of Jane and Celeste sitting down together. Yeah. Uh, again, maybe with the amazing therapist oh, and yes. figuring out, you know, <laughs> what is the best way to bring this up to our children. <laughs> right. You guys are brosifs for real. Yeah. For reals. Yeah. For reals. But that's nuts. Okay. So let's, I didn't have this written down. What did you think of the, the, the fight scene, like the five on one lady fight scene with, with Perry? Um, Believable, dramatic, good. Did you who did you ever think anybody else was going to go down those steps or whatever? What were your thoughts? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really well done. Um, again, I thought they kept this great tension going, mm-hmm. um, and you really saw Perry. He looked like a caged animal, mm-hmm. capable pretty much of anything. Yes. Um, and you saw the stairs looming behind them, uh, behind the women. Yeah. I wanted to scream. I was almost wanted to yell at the TV, "Get away from the steep stairs!" You know. <laughs> well, especially because um, they, they like they showed they showed Madeline walking up those stairs like six times during the show. Completely. So you completely, knew they were like yes. important. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, and we've seen that we'd seen the caution tape across the stairs how many times? You yeah, know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we knew that the, that the dead person was at the bottom of those stairs. Correct. Um, Correct. and I thought it was a a powerful and terrifying image of again this kind of brute animal attacking as all of these women are banding together to yeah. try to save Celeste, to try to save themselves. Um, and it was it was very powerful. It was done in silence, I yes. believe, yeah, if I remember correctly. Sure, it was done in silence. I agree with you, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and that was powerful and um, resonated with me, especially because the soundtrack has been, like, I mean, so amazing for yeah. this entire show. So to use silence, it felt, you know, it felt... Well done. Yeah, and, right. Less is more, for sure. Yeah. What? And um, and I was totally surprised when we found out that it was Bonnie. Dude, how sweet was that, though? She was like, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was like um, she and, – and, oh, one more thing. Just that I'm remembering off the top of my head that, that I think pundit Cindy Harrington told me was in the book, she – her backstory is that she was in an abusive relationship of some kind. That's right. That her, I believe it was her father. Okay, got it. I, yes, that like I think she had. She grew up with an abusive father. Okay, great. And so, she, not great for her, but great like that you have that to confirm that what I heard. Yeah. But so you could just see her like picking up all the cues, you know. Yes, and, and I thought she did a great job of again not over. You know, she didn't overact. She didn't do some sort of insane facial gesture so that we clocked in. We just suddenly were like, oh, she's. She's like putting this, the like, pieces together right, and it's, it's resonating like, deeply. Right. And it's like this dude can fight four ladies that he knows about, but five ladies, one who he doesn't know about, and some stairs, that's a problem, yeah. homie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, but I thought it was well shot and it was kind of like um, literally making this up on the spot. But you know when you watch those nature videos and 
all the wildebeest are crossing the river and like the alligator just kind of like wait and hiding mm-hmm. and they get one and all they yes. need to do is get one. Bonnie was kind of like the alligator that, that eat it. You Absolutely. Know. Where the eyes suddenly open out of the water. Yep. And like, the wildebeest is like, oh girl. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. anyway, all right. Um, but I thought it was well shot. I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. Yes. Um, especially because she clearly, now that I know her backstory, Bonnie, had achieved some type of peace through yoga and through like cardio kickboxing and through probably meditation, maybe a little marijuana, some, you know, crafts and arts, you know, like healthy eating, you know, she clearly is at, at peace with herself. And the fact that she's the one who did it, I think makes you feel all the less bad for Perry and all the better for them lying to cover up what happened because, you know, F, you know, F that, you know, she shouldn't, she saved them really, or she at least saved one of them probably. She absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. A couple other things. You mentioned the music. Let's talk soundtrack. I think you have some notes um, on either the soundtrack or some of the song choices. What what do you want to lead me through there? Uh, I just, um, I read, there's a fantastic article in Variety. It's an interview with the director where he basically says that he, he's a director, but a closeted, um, wannabe DJ and that which I thought was awesome like such a cool idea to think about wanted to be a DJ failed and am now this amazing director instead but he was talking about how he loved to use instead of um using composers to compose a soundtrack he likes to use music that the characters would be listening to in real life so when we have the we're listening to the music that Jane is listening to when she's jogging, or we're listening to the music that um, you know Chloe, Madeline's daughter, is putting on in the car, and that becomes the soundtrack, and it's the soundtrack to the, the characters' lives as well. And I thought that's such a neat, cool way to do it that way. Um, and this little girl Chloe was my God, what a pip! I love that she called her mother woman. <laughs> woman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Their relationship was so awesome. She was so like precocious and mature, um, and also very thoughtful. Like again, some of the best songs that I heard this season were hers. Yeah, I thought that I I wrote this down in my notes. The daughter Chloe McKenzie, played by Darby Camp, um, great character. Like just a Um, great, like worth singling out as. Like Absolutely. The little girl character, phenomenal. And so the little girl who played her, like, great work. And, you know, to the writers and whomever else, to have her be kind of like uh, a very wise old soul, if you will, for like a six Very old. wise old soul. Absolutely. Like, oftentimes the voice of reason for Madeline. Yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Like the, the counterbalance for things. Yeah, to the neurotic Madeline. It's like the little girl <laughs> who knows everything, right? Um, all right, let's talk about another character, which is. I've heard a few people, and you, you're a West Coaster. You've been on the West Coast, I think, your whole life. I mean, in college, you were in New York, right? But yeah, um, you know, I've heard a few people mention that Monterey is like either a main or the main character of the show, um, yeah. and I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that's to the extent of the you know Monterey's beauty and the scenery and the great cinematography. But it, what's your assessment of that viewpoint? I mean, do you think the show? Runners did a good job of portraying Monterey as a character. Did, have you been to Monterey? Can you give me any background on that? I have been to Monterey, and I would argue that I felt it was more the ocean that mm. was a character mm-hmm. in and of itself, sure. as opposed to Monterey. I mean, certainly the show was shot 
in Monterey and Los Angeles. Yeah. And there, again, the, um, the cinematographer who's um, Yves Belanger, again, he works with Jean-Marc Vallée a lot. They work together all the time. Um, I thought he did an amazing job. Like, just even the opening sequence for the show, you know, you get a sense of what this town is. You get the money. You get the cliffs, the drama. Um, and I, I did think they did a good job, but for me, it's not like I felt like I really got a sense or yeah. look of the whole town. Yeah, sure. But the ocean was a very dominant character for me for the show. Yeah, I, I, I like the way you put that. I think the ocean was definitely more of a character than the town of Monterey, and certainly the the shoreline is Monterey, and, and some yeah. of the, the cliffs and some of the stunning views is Monterey. But really, it was all looking out at the ocean, not looking in on Monterey, right? So, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, that, that fundraiser they went to, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the net proceeds? Because that thing was like a $6 million fundraiser <laughs> for a preschool. So Again, can we talk um, about that? Growing up in Los Angeles and Monterey, and I didn't grow up in Monterey, but like it is a strange bubble out here. Um, okay. And Monterey is a Carmel – Monterey, you know, certain towns, you know, go to Pacific Palisades, Northern Santa Monica. It is the 1% of the population living like princes and princesses. So, uh, you know, I went to um, a private performing arts school out here. And I can tell you, I mean, they were... It was crazy, the the benefits and stuff. They're, you're literally raising millions of dollars because the parents of the kids who go to these schools earn millions and millions of dollars. Right, okay, gotcha. And and, and also, it sounds like these, these kids go to public schools in Monterey, so I'm not sure what the fundraising is for. Oh, that's a, that's a good point, that, that their school was public. But. but they were still raising money for something at the school, so clear, but to your point, like... They're not paying for tuition, but they're certainly donating something. So, yeah. But it was a pretty and, over the top school fundraiser. Pretty over that the was, top. That was all out. That's for damn sure. Let me ask you this: Who was your favorite Elvis, and who was your favorite Audrey? Ooh, my favorite Elvis was probably um, Ed, played by Adam Scott. I, I thought, thought he was great. I thought he was he fantastic. Was so fabulous, yeah. Especially because he I played the other song. one in like what was either a dream sequence for Madeline or real life, but when he was kind of like Elvis in Vegas with, with the cape and he was singing yeah, karaoke. Yeah, so when she came home that night, yeah. Yeah, and then Pocket Full of Rainbows got sung by him as a duet with, with Chloe. Um, yeah. You know, that that was totally different Elvis than he became at, in, real, in quote unquote real life at, at the event, so. Yes, it was so vulnerable and um, intimate, the Elvis that he did at the event. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know. I didn't even know Elvis had it in him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so that's all good. Um, all right, and then uh, from an Audrey perspective, who's your favorite? Yes, uh, well, I thought Shailene Woodley. I thought Jane. She just when she walked out, mm-hmm. she just looked exactly like Audrey from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, I thought like, she looked amazing. Such an iconic Audrey role that even I. Oh know, my god, you know? so iconic! And, yeah. But so was Celeste as well. Yeah, I mean, of course. again, Nicole Kidman is so patrician, and she's yeah. You know, I mean, she's so statuesque. I mean, yeah. Well, you know when they say that certain singers could sing the phone book, like she can act the phone book. Like if she that's needs to, exactly right. If that's she needs exactly to look right. stunning, she's got that one covered. <laughs> she's got that nailed down. Oh, oh, but you need I to be stunning. Jane looked great. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. 
Um, all right, this is my final thing, but we can go as long as you'd like because this is very fun. But so we we'll go back to the soundtrack really quickly because you know yeah. it's so fantastic, and and I feel like as I kind of said, like the music was a character as much as yes. the, as much as the ocean, right? And you yeah. you touched on it, but my favorite kind of innocuous exchange of the entire show, the entire series, was the exchange at that awkward dinner party with you know where. Uh, before they get into the the older daughter's like project and losing their virginity, yeah, correct. Uh, Madeline says to Bonnie, "Oh, I like the song. Is it Adele?" And of course, Bonnie's like, "It's Sade." And, yeah, <laughs> yes, that was so. And funny. then Madeline yeah. says to Ed, "We should get this." And Ed's like, "Oh, we have this." It, <laughs> yes, it was such a great. Moment, it kind of perfectly caught the, the three of those characters <laughs> in the moment. And again, it was just the music helping make that line like a throwaway line that I completely remember because it was like, yes. so everybody, you know? That's exactly right, yeah. And I also enjoyed the Nickelodeon slime that came out of Reese Witherspoon's mouth. Oh my God, was that not, it was so shocking and wonderful and like <laughs> so disgusting and like, and I love Zoe Kravitz. Bonnie was trying to hold it together, trying to hold it together and then she like puked across her herd. She was like, oh my God. Yeah, she's like, GD, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, that's amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> I love it. Well, this is. I, you know, one of the the scenes I loved the most too was was when Ed and Nathan have it out. Um, it was early on, and Ed is in his spandex from cycling. Yup. Do you know when he yep. kind of he's like jokingly threatening him in, yes. in the most like he's he is being menacing and threatening, but in the most like emasculated way possible. Yeah, when he when he rolls up in his like dork mobile. Yeah, I mean Exactly. I just loved that scene. I thought it was so well done. I thought they were both great. They were each trying to read each other and having such trouble like getting their reading each other's body language and getting the point across and trying to figure out, wait, are you being serious? You know, like, are you real right now? Like, I, I just thought that was a great scene. Yeah, me too, for sure. It was like, uh, that actually was why I thought maybe Ed or Nathan would be killed or the killer for a while too, because of that just weird exchange in the episode, like mm-hmm. four or whatever it was. So yeah, yeah, I think the dynamic between those two families trying to raise like, you know, a co a co-child and then two classmates you know yeah. sky and sky and chloe good stuff um really good stuff yeah, yeah. Well, well any any parting thoughts for the show oh, i have one more question i'm sorry yeah i think you guys you and jer watched um the night of yes i watched the night of okay uh i'm not sure if you watched the the young pope with uh jude law or not i have not watched that yet i've heard it's fantastic okay i would recommend it but so i guess i'm going to take that one out of the equation which HBO has definitely been in the limited series business this, this year. Which yeah. which of those two that you've seen, uh, I guess, is your favorite? I know they're completely different shows. So They are so different. You know, for me, uh, The Night Of started off really strong, and it kind of fizzled out for me. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't love the final two episodes, um, whereas The Big Little Lies – uh, built for me. Like it got stronger and stronger with each episode. I cared more and more about the characters. Don't get me wrong. I thought everyone in Night of was brilliant. I'm such a huge John Turturro fan. Oh my God, for sure. What what a character. Like, oh my God. John Stone's my dog, you know? Oh my God. It was amazing. And I thought all, I thought all the performances were great. I just, I think it was the writing that didn't feel as strong for me. Okay. Got it. 
And it sounds like that show had so much trouble getting off the ground because Gandolfini was behind it and then he passed away and then they couldn't find a yeah, Stone character. Yeah, they and, had filmed the pilot and then they had to pause for a couple years and then they went back to it. I didn't know that they had... To, I thought it had good viewership. Did it have trouble getting viewers? No, I just think they couldn't get like the right character to replace Gandolfini, you know? And, and, um, oh. And then so they had to rewrite a bunch. I think they had to rewrite a few things. I forget. I actually, one of the guys who's on the show, Brian Burton, on the freestyle last summer, and he oh that's awesome. And he had told me a bit about it, and I just can't quite remember off the top of my dome right now. But anyway, yeah, I do recommend the Young Pope. I, that one actually grew on me, Chloe. I really didn't like the first three episodes, but I'm like, I like a few of the characters. I like the cinematography. I want to yeah. see where this goes. And by episode like six. I was like, okay, I'm kind of in. By episode, I think it was eight or seven. I was like, all right. Good stuff. So it looks like a wild acid trip, almost based on the. Oh, um, dude, for sure. I mean, the, you can you can make that show whatever you want to make it. Put it that way, you know. I really want to. I want to watch it. I'm a big fan of uh, the director. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, listen. Thanks so much for being on, Chloe. This is fantastic. Oh my god, this has been my pleasure. I can talk film until your ears fall off. Well, that's so. good because we're gonna. Thanks we're for gonna, having me. We're gonna do it again, and congrats again to you guys on the expected arrival. Thank you so and much. Speaking of arrivals, has your husband arrived? He has arrived. All right, Jared so bears in the house. Is he right there, or should I push pause on this bad boy? Uh, push pause on the bad boy, and I'll go get him. All right, thanks, Chloe. Thanks for being my on. We'll pleasure. talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, the other half of the Johnson-Peterson connection. You know him and love him from Manchester Good. Jeremy Johnson. How are you, my friend? I'm fantastic, Dad. How are you doing? I'm great. Had a lovely conversation with your wife about Big Little Lies. Now, really quickly, did you watch any of it? Not one minute. Okay. Well, just, that's why we had to bring Chloe in, and she would do a great job. So... Uh, the, what you have done for us now two years in a row is picked a food-based NCAA bracket. And I want to give you really good props for calling that UNC would make the finals based on their pulled pork sandwich. Um, the Maryland crab boil did not fare as well, lost in round one, but you picked successfully one half of the championship game based totally on food. Take a bow, sir. How do you feel? I feel fantastic, and I think that um, in future years, if asked, maybe um, the new approach is to pick um, a semi-relevant bracket and then food matchups based on that instead of strictly on food. But I did uh, ride high on irrational confidence, as you remember by my Facebook post, that Maryland was actually going to make the finals until they didn't. When they lost and <laughs> that was pretty much the, I mean, man, did my bracket take a dive with that and Nova going down early. Yeah, like, the Philly wow. cheesesteak was a Philly cheesesteak was going to make a deep run, right? So, and as it should, though, I mean, you know, a Philly cheesesteak as well as anyone, oh, maybe better in real life. The chili cheesecake, cheesesteak, excuse me, makes the final four. Yes, Boom. I've seen you eat a Philly cheesesteak, and it, it's not family-friendly, but it, it does show a deep appreciation for the sandwich. Correct. I'm a lover of all things cheese and steak, especially when they're together and intertwined. Um, all right, dude. We were texting earlier today as you were acting as the booking agent for your, for your wife, Chloe, and we had a couple questions out of last night's Gonzaga-UNC game, and I just wanted to have a little bit of chance to talk through some of these outlandish theories with an outlandish person like yourself, okay? So you mentioned to me a lot of the Zags were slipping in the second half in that far right corner of the floor. 
I mean, were they ever? Like, who was in charge of mopping that area, and how does Nance not bring that up in the broadcast? Correct. It's it was it was every time down the court with the ball, there's somebody on the floor in that exact area. Right, right. And so, number one, who assigns these subpar mopper kids? First of all, why are children? So you know how Kramer was a ball man in uh, Seinfeld that time at the U.S. Open. And right. they were like, well, men can't do it. It's for boys. I would say for moppers of, like, championship games, maybe little kids who are just happy to be there shouldn't be the mopper kids. Right. And can, can we, like, can we agree on that? And can we actually, like, make that a part of the prospect because – or the project? Because bringing in, bringing in children is a, a very uneven experience. Right. Right. And, like, who assigns these kids? Like, the referees are based on ratings and assignments and, like, you know, it picked – you know, from an actual metric system, you know, a merit system. So are these kids all-star moppers? As you mentioned to me today, are they regionally assigned? I think you were wondering if maybe there was a disgruntled Oregon fan mopping. Like, you know, that's a mess. And to your point, this is a legitimate conversation. If we're going to be dealing with something that's as big of uh, money as the uh, NCAA yes. March Madness tourney and national championship, but, and now and I'm going to completely just walk away from that point. We talk about the referees being assigned based on merit. This is the best that college basketball can do. Well, they fell in love with their whistles. Those guys? They fell in love with their whistles. They ruined the game. Yeah. I mean, literally every every time someone tried to get into the flow, uh, the flow was sidetracked by referees loving the sound of their whistles. Maybe we should go and review that for 14 minutes and see what the video shows us. And kill all rhythm in the game. And by the way, Gonzaga clearly has an advantage with the bigs. Every time one of their big guys was on the court, they were, you know, mostly successfully working it inside. And all those guys end up with four fouls too early. Yeah. It's a joke. I do. It's, it's, Eight it's a problem, left, man. Maybe 11 Basketball minutes. Basketball is a problem with referees. They do, especially at the college level. I mean, I know a couple college referees personally. Um, you know, who, who, are, who I guess are pretty good referees. I mean, I've seen them ref and they're fine. And they, they'll admit freely that there's, you know, you got a thousand guys refing Division One games and gals refing Division One men's basketball. Now, the NBA, you've got like, what, 50? Under, under 100? And those, you know, and not, but not that those guys are perfect, but the disparity between ref 1000 and ref 1 got to be huge. And I know only the top 100 refs make the tournament assignment. But to your point, those are the best four guys, the best three guys. Yeah, seriously. I mean, that, that's the best result we can get. You get the early fouls. You get the ticky-tack. You get the complete inconsistencies. You get all the hallmarks of a terribly officiated basketball game. And it was all on display, and it made it a terrible second half. I'm not a college basketball guy. I don't watch it much lately, but well, you know, I'm watching that. And I'm like, this is bad basketball. They didn't do anything to, just, to make you feel differently last night, I'll tell you that much. It's not a good basketball game. It yeah. was bad. And, you know, and it just, you got to let the kids play. You just keep them from hurting each other and just lay off the whistle. Like, you're not there. Nobody's paying money to watch referees. Correct. If, we, if we're talking about you with nine minutes left, that's a problem. Um, speaking of problems, you mentioned that Jim Nance didn't say anything about it. And you also mentioned that. You know, Grant Hill didn't really sound like he wanted to be there. <laughs> yeah, did, did, like, was Grant Hill, like, under protest? Like, why was he even, like, this is it? This is what we get? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like having three dudes with Raftery, Raftery can do, can do color all by himself, right? And, and I'm sure Grant Hill can too. Problem is, 
you know, to stick two guys who don't usually work together. You got to remember, Raftery works for Fox and CBS, and Grant Hill works for TBS for NBA games and NBA TV. And because of the awkward marriage between Turner and CBS to jointly pay the NCAA a billion dollars a year or whatever they pay them, uh, you get these weird broadcasting teams. You see it in the studio, and you've got like Seth Davis and Ernie Johnson with Charles Barkley and Wally Zerbiak. Like, I don't really need that team together for any reason. Uh, Nance was trying really hard to get Grant Hill involved too, especially as the second half went on. He was bringing up like you know active players in the NBA. He was bringing up his college experiences and Grant. I mean, at one point, Grant he was talking about the point guards that have played in that game, and Grant's reply was, "Yeah, those are some really good point guards." <laughs> Sounds and like a, an unenthusiastic version of Jason Bateman's Pepper Brooks. They really want to win this game. <laughs> Hey, awkward's the word, you know? I mean, it was awkward. Yeah, and so, but it did get us thinking about Grant Hill and how he was a great college basketball player and a very strong pro who was sidelined by injury a lot. And I had mentioned a theory that I had heard somewhere just roundabout over the years that his pro career was sidetracked early on because he signed a contract with Fila, who had started a basketball brand and he was the poster child of and then had all these ankle injuries and then when he got to Phoenix and I believe changed brands uh, for sneakers, he really stayed pretty healthy the rest of the way. He just was never the same guy. Uh, He was a good player but not a superstar. Um, It's a crazy theory that I've never heard and it kind of blows my mind really but it does bring up the idea of like great college players that never really made their mark in the pros. And most of the literature online is about these guys like the Tyler Hansboroughs yes. and the Jimmer Fredettes and everything yes. Who, yes. who were incredible college, like phenoms, who just never really caught on the pros because they were tweeners or their game didn't translate that well or whatever it is. Yeah. But there's no real category for guys like Grant Hill, who could have been one of the best players ever, arguably, in this conversation and instead, he just had like a very good career. But if he didn't spend what like most of his first three seasons, like on the operating table with bad feet and ankles and everything, yeah, who knows what he could have been? Right, he might have actually come close to that. You know, that next. Scott and he had Pippen. a good career. We should all be fortunate to have a career like Grant Hill. But when he came out of college, right, he he was he was the next guy. Yes, he, he was in that line of like next Jordan types or, you know, just next stud, right? And I'm not talking about like Harold Minor next Jordan. No, guys, like really. Like, right, like a really yeah, well-rounded like, player. Like so a very me, like consensus top pick as a guy who's going to be the next guy. Right, and right. he never really was. He became more of like a Solid Ray role Allen. Yeah. Like Ray Allen later in his career, not when he was like, you know, leading the box. Yeah, not Jesus Shuttlesworth Ray Allen, but like Celtics sharpshooter Ray Allen. I think you could do an entire podcast on Jesus Shuttlesworth's outfits. I'm sure someone has But it would have to be like a multimedia one where the audience could follow along in the way people, the way he was dressed. Well, I'll tell you what. We can do that on Facebook Live if I'm ever out there. We can find a way to do it. Uh, Oh, it's a great idea. Maybe we will. So, really quickly. Is Grant Hill, in your mind, a top three college player of all time in terms of great player in college who did not fully realize pro potential? I think he's kind of in a class of his own right with Bill Walton and Pistol Pete. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading, some, apparently Chuck Klosterman had a similar-ish thought about the 50 best players of this ilk. 
And Grant Hill is nowhere on the list, which basically means that Chuck thought his career in, in the NBA was strong enough to keep him off the list. But I would say this. Pistol Pete, for sure, and Bill Walton, for sure. And then I think, I think it's really hard to say there's somebody who had injury and or, you know, just somebody who's more can't miss than those two guys besides Grant Hill that, that didn't make it. Because, like, Kareem, made, Oden, Kareem made it. Greg Oden, yeah, but was he as good? He was number You're one talking pick. about the Grantland article, right? I am, from like six years ago. Yeah, I read that, and it, it felt like a crowd pleaser to me. Like, it didn't really dig into Agreed. what we're talking about. It, no, 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 no. we're talking about something different. names that you were happy to read about, and then it, it let, you know, finished with Lou Elsinder and pulled the Kareem Lou Elsinder. Yeah, changed like, his name, you know, so therefore he's different guy. Thing. Yeah. Which, it didn't really get into what we're talking about. Though. No. And it's players that had phenomenal college careers that look like they're going to be the next best thing that for some reason or the other mostly injury, weren't. Weren't, right. Because, like, yeah, because your point about Harold Miner or uh, in some, like, so, for instance, Penny Hardaway, great college player. That would be a good one. Great. He did have a phenomenal run. Correct. Great college player and a great first four years of a career. And then when Shaq left, he was exposed for being not the next Michael Jordan, not the next Magic Johnson, a good player, but not a franchise player, right? By the way, Tracy McGrady in the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. How about that? How do you feel about do you, I mean, we're going, early too. I very mean, early, like, yeah, for sure. He he was kind of like he was one of those guys who was like the leader of the post Jordan era. Who you know we I think we looked down on his career because he wasn't Michael Jordan and he was too soon after to Michael's Michael Jordan. career. Well, you know whose career yeah. he basically had in in some ways, not perfect analogy, but is Carmelo Anthony. But, it's a good analogy. That's a good one. But Carmelo, like you said, came around after people like McGrady and Vince Carter had been maligned for not being Michael Jordan. And so Carmelo only had to face the facts for he's not as good as LeBron from a, from several standpoints now at this point. He's not as good as D-Wade in terms of winning. But dude is the most decorated Olympian of all time. Takes that very seriously in terms of That's basketball. That's crazy. And, and he's He's an excellent scorer, he's an excellent player, but he's never been into the, the conference finals, you know? And T-Mac couldn't win a series for a long time either. And then when he was finally paired with Yao Ming, they both were injured, and McGrady finally... McGrady was one of those guys, though, who when he lost the step, it was over. And, um, right. and, and he lost the step when, when Yao Ming got hurt and the Rockets' idea got blown up. But anyway, um, is it a meowing cat I hear? Yeah, yeah I've been <laughs> home all day. And, uh, How does the cat feel about Pistol Pete versus uh, Bill Walton's feet versus Grant Hill's ankles? Hey, Jimbo, uh, what do you think about Bill Walton's uh, one year with the 86 Celtics? Wasn't that a really beautiful thing, even though you weren't born and I was only seven years old? I still appreciated it. Wasn't that incredible? He knows. He if, knows I get, if I can get a meow, I'd appreciate that, Jimbo. Um, all right, man. But I, think, I think there's definitely... <laughs> I think there's definitely a podcast in there somewhere for us moving down the line. Um, I do want to hit you with one idea before we go. So you know how ESPN, when they do the college football playoff, they do different feeds for the game? So like ESPN 1 will have like the Clemson feed, and ESPN 2 will have the Homer feed from Alabama, and ESPN U will have like the coaches' boxes, and ABC will carry like the regular neutral, traditional broadcast. Sure, sure, which is a great idea. Yeah. What about this? What if there was a heel or, like, hater announcer feed? So, like, 
teams like the Yankees or the Patriots or Man U like have a ton of fans and a ton of like haters. And do you think there's a market for like the Yankees to like pay a guy who hates them to follow them around and broadcast their games on like Periscope and be like, friggin' Jeter. If you Over. are suggesting that you and I lead that broadcast team, I think it's an amazing idea. In fact, I am, and in fact, that's why I'm documenting it on this very official forum, the Phil Buster Freestyle. So what, what we're doing is basically putting together a demo tape. We're demo taping it, and we're not doing it yet, but I'm putting the idea out there. I'm copywriting the idea, uh, and we're going to think more about this because I think there's actually potential here. Can we? I know that you can't like broadcast Major League Baseball without the express written permission of the Commissioner of Major League Baseball. But could we do like a fake broadcast and put it on the internet anyway? Right. Like my point would be: Could we sit around and watch a game? And the Facebook Live is on us watching the game, talking smack about like the Yankees. Kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000 Baseball. But not necessarily watching the game, watching us watch the game, or maybe in this case, listening to us watch the game. Uh, yeah, something. I gotta, we got to get some lawyers involved, frankly. But I, I don't think know. we just do it and we let their lawyers get involved, and then we get to talk about how we get contacted by Major League Baseball's lawyers. That's probably the more realistic way to plan this. It okay. would just be a cease and desist letter. Correct. In which case, we would go to another sport and do that. Which I could then frame and put on the wall and have a great story. And tell your, your, tell your soon-to-be-born daughter about it. So, okay. Well, with baseball season fully upon us, let's talk about this more offline. But, hey, everybody, hope you enjoyed this filibuster freestyle post-show production meeting, which is actually live. That's how we do it, JJ. Time, yeah, always. What's that? I had a great time, as always. Well, I'm glad you were on. Thanks for uh, booking Chloe. She was excellently knowledgeable about the scene and about Big Little Lies, which, not going to lie, huh, pun intended, fantastic, way better than I thought it would be. Uh, JJ, stick around for a minute. We will catch up, but thanks for being on, and thanks to Jimbo as well. Whole family. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bill Buster Freestyle. That's the end of the podcast, folks. Follow us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. This is the end.